Welcome everyone to episode 150 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin as we react to Liverpool signing Ryan Gravenberch. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So we're marking the 150th episode of the podcast with a new sign-in for Liverpool, which I think is pretty ideal. We were planning to record a little bit earlier this week, but then we saw something might be happening on the Ryan Gravenberch front a couple of nights ago, and, and we decided to delay it. And sure enough, now Liverpool have reached an agreement with Bayern Munich over a 34 million transfer. Gravenberch is in Liverpool as we speak, and is due to be having a medical on Friday. And obviously, we've seen this summer that anything can happen when it comes to transfers, but barring any late hitches, Gravenberch will become the fourth and probably final signing of the window for Liverpool. So, Chris, let's just start by discussing our initial reaction to the signing. And also, if I had to ask you for a rating out of 10 for how excited you are, where would you put that at the moment? Well, the signing as a whole, I'm very happy with it. Uh, I think the fact he was a long-term target as well, and this isn't just some sort of knee-jerky final day of the window, Liverpool see a deal that can be done and do it. This is a deal that has been sounded out throughout the summer, but we were led to believe by Munich regard Ryan Gravenberch as not for sale. So ultimately, if the selling club decides, no, you can't have him, there's not much you could do about that. But there has been an apparent shifting of the goalposts from Bayern Munich's perspective. We're led to believe that Thomas Tuchel doesn't really want Ryan Gravenberch as part of his plans for whatever reason. I'm not entirely sure. Um, But yeah, out of 10, this is a solid, it's a solid seven, eight, I think. But just because he's a young player, only 21 years old, still has heaps of potential. And I think it's a signing that because it's long-term, it makes me more satisfied with it. Because it, it's not something that Liverpool just jumped on late on in the window. And I think from what we're led to believe, Ryan Gravenberch wants Liverpool as well, which is quite a refreshing um, change to the likes of the Caicedo deals, for example, where I know a lot of people might have had different opinions on this and probably did, but even when the Caicedo fee was agreed, when you start hearing things about him not particularly wanting Liverpool or him wanting Chelsea more, for me, that makes him a less desirable target because he doesn't want Liverpool. Because ultimately, if you you pay the money, but then the player doesn't really want to put on the shirt, I don't really see the point in investing that much, to be honest. The fee as a whole, I think, is an excellent fee. Uh, We'll probably touch on it in terms of his minutes for Bayern Munich and that, but I've seen a lot of Bayern fans saying that they've doubled their money for a bench warmer. Um, and whilst I'm not going to sit here and deny that, he's still a player with undoubted quality. And as I've said, he's only 21 years old. So I think he's a player that Liverpool can view in the long term. And I think he's a player that I just think under the right manager, i.e. Jurgen Klopp, I think he could easily just explode into a fantastic talent. So he's multifunctional which is what we've led to believe Liverpool have been looking at. And I really do think Ryan Gravenberch is a very good addition to Liverpool. John, a lot of um, 
the, the points you made there in, in greater detail as, as we kind of go through the podcast. I mean, I think it's worth just kind of stressing here. He is just 21. I mean, we're talking about a player who feels like has been around for quite a long time. You think back to the behind closed door season when Liverpool played Ajax, um, and that was really when Graven Betch was um, making his name. But despite that, he is still younger than Curtis Jones. He's only a year older than Harvey Elliott. So he's very, very young player still. I think you're right to mention that he is a long-term target. That, for me, demonstrates, and we'll come on to this in a second, but that Gravenberg isn't going to be just a pure like rotation player because I don't think you kind of target a player for such a long time as, you know, Klopp and his coaching staff if you don't have like a broader plan, you know, a bit of a grander plan for him um, as well. Um, and Liverpool, I think, would have would have actually signed him last summer if... Um, he hadn't kind of expressed a preference to go to Bayern. He might regret that now, but thankfully he's been able to kind of get this new start, which he sorely needed because, like you mentioned, Chris, Thomas Tuchel just was not interested. I think there was a feeling of Bayern that they wanted to give him more time. But I think they got the sense from, from Tuchel that he was it was going to be a repeat of last season if he, if he stuck around. And that is now two Bayern managers who've obviously come to that conclusion with Gravenberg, which, which is... Maybe a little bit worrying, but we'll come on to that um, a bit more in, in a later point of the podcast. Um, I want to start by being a little bit negative, I guess. I mean, we're talking about what Graven Birch isn't rather than what he is. Um, he's not a defensive midfielder and he's not a centre-back. And we're assuming that neither of those players will come in before the end of the window. I mean, if that spectacularly happens um, and we look a bit silly, then I don't think either of us mind because, you know, it's obviously a good thing for Liverpool, but... The likelihood is that Liverpool, like you say, Chris, have committed to that more multifunctional player. I mean, I mean, how do you feel about that? It's a shame they couldn't get Hincape on the plane today as, as well, isn't it? <laughs> um, it, it? It's an interesting one because I agree with you that he's not in number six. I think he might well be asked to do that at points this season, hence the multifunctional aspects that Liverpool are going to be looking at. I think it's a little bit like Wataru Endo, isn't it? Where Liverpool are maybe looking at a player that can play a few positions instead of going for these several different players. Of course, Endo can play centre-back. Do we want that long-term? No, with all due respect to Endo. Um, I think there were one or two parts of the Newcastle game where he looked a little bit out of his depth, but then a little bit where he looked a bit composed. I agree with you on the, on the, on the post-match podcast that I wouldn't have necessarily taken off at the time, but then I'm not Jurgen Klopp and I didn't make match-winning substitutions. So, um, clear, you know, it, it's one of them where I, th- I think it's been said many, many times that if Jurgen Klopp wants a player, then you know, we, we, we should trust that judgment. Um, I think the fact he was, as you say, a target last summer as well. So maybe to some fans it would be reassuring that he was a Michael Edwards target as well, given that all Michael Edwards did for the club was just absolutely incredible and um, one of the best in his role I think we will ever see um, and and have ever seen, obviously. Um, I, th- I, I look at him and obviously I can't claim to have seen every single second of his career, but the bits I have seen and I have watched a bit of him, he can carry the ball well, he's got good balance, can make can make tackles, so it's not as if he, he can't play number six. And I think he, to reiterate, I do think he will will get asked to do that at some point this season. Um, I think he, you think he's a player that can be moulded into doing that role a bit more. 
Just for example, you look at Genie Wijnaldum, where at Newcastle, he was an attacking midfielder. At Feyenoord, he was an attacking midfielder. And now Ryan Gravenberch probably associates himself more with the attacking side, but I think will get asked to do that role a little bit more, like the Genie Wijnaldum role, that bit more of a tenacious midfielder, while still looking to provide some sort of goal output where necessary. So, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of fans might, might, look at the, might look at the term multifunctional and just think, oh, that means we're not getting other targets. But, you know, I think a part of an element of being a footballer these days is you've got to be versatile in some aspect. And I think Graven Birch is versatile and I think he can and will do a job where required in these positions. And, of course, well, you know, we're recording this on Friday morning, so we'll be seeing the Europa League group stage later on today. And some of those games might be kind enough to kind of trial Graven Birch in that role. I'm not saying that there'll be Premier League quality that Liverpool will be up against in the Europa League, but that could well be an opportunity. Um, so, yeah, obviously... A, dedic- a, a, a more younger dedicated number six would have been ideal and probably a left-side centre-back. But at least with Graven Birch, there's a feeling that there's there's a hole in the midfield that's going to be filled for some time to come. Yeah, it kind of feels like they looked at the defensive midfield market, saw that there was no one there. That really appealed in terms of their ability and their price tag. And I've kind of gone for this more, well, very left-field solution. Um, I put up a poll on my Twitter account the other day, you know, saying, do we need a defence midfielder or a centre-back more? And it was pretty much, I think it was 48-52 um, in favour of defence midfielder. Like, it was really close. So, I, I find it quite funny that Liverpool have, have sort of <laughs> gone for option C out of those two and brought somebody who doesn't fit either bill. And I think we'll only be able to fully judge at the end of the season whether that was a, a mistake or not. I mean, obviously, they've got a chance to bring someone in in January. I mean, it's difficult because the centre-back situation does worry me, to be honest. I mean, we're literally, we've played three games and we're already down to Matip and Gomez. Obviously, there's a suspension of play, but things happen when you're in the chaos of a season. I was thinking earlier this week as well, and this is to take away the quality of any of them, but the the starting defence from Sunday was the starting defence from... 2019 Champions League semi-final and final hmm. so not to take away from the quality of any of them but it kind of shows a lack of moving on in that time a little bit yeah. doesn't it not not that you would have anyone else other than Trent Alexander-Arnold in that role not that you'd have anyone else than Andy Robertson in that role right now um, even as a left side centre-back which obviously divides opinion um, Van Dijk is a Liverpool captain for a reason but it's I suppose the one alongside of him isn't it and that does create a concern. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, everyone talks about the midfield saying that's the area where they haven't refreshed over a period of time. But you look at it, since Virgil van Dijk came in in January 2018, I think Canate is the only major centre-back signing. Um, so yeah. what you've got there is five and a half years with one sort of signing in that area. So it's the same kind of maybe neglect is the word you'd use we've seen in that department um, and it still hasn't been remedied and hopefully it's not hopefully next summer we're not coming into the centre-back conversation like we came into the midfield discussion this year where it's like we need multiple players in that area um, 
I fear that that might be the case, but we'll obviously see what happens. Um, the defensive midfield one as well is like, so we're basically going to be going into the rest of the season with, or certainly until January with Endo, Bicetic, maybe Ravenberch, maybe Thiago, but there's no one there who's like a proper, you know, quality specialist defensive midfielder. And that is also a big risk. And signing Gravenberch itself is a gamble, but I think it's especially so in light of the other needs that are being ignored. I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, Chris, there's also a chance that Klopp's going to try and redevelop him as a number six. Um, Genie Wijnaldum is the, the, the prime example of that. Basically, this um, number 10, who scored a lot of goals uh, before he arrived at Liverpool, ends up getting shifted back and into this player who's kind of, he's just completely different type of midfielder. Really, you know, it was all about his kind of tactical intelligence, defensive work, his pressing, you know, all, all things like that. Much more like subtle midfield contributions, really. Um, and he, he really thrived in that role. I mean, that's that's the role that made him kind of, talking from this kind of midfielder who was appreciated for his goal scoring into one that was kind of, recognised by kind of those who know what they're talking about as one of the most crucial contributors to like one of kind of the great sides of, of the modern era. Um, and we could see something similar here because I think I was writing about this yesterday. I think if you're Klopp and his coaching staff, you're not necessarily buying the same player that you're going to use. And what I mean by that is, they're not bound by how a previous coach has used Graven Birch. They're going to look at the qualities he has, the attributes he has, and basically they're going to put him into a role in their team, which they, they believe best kind of fits his attributes. So there's, there's a chance that we kind of see him used in a role that we're not kind of used to. I think Cody Gakpo is a great example of that further up the pitch. Arrives yeah. as someone who's kind of putting up these incredible numbers as a left winger for PSV. Um, has played central for the Netherlands mostly, but as kind of part of a front two or as a number 10, Klopp thinks, you know what, no, hang on, this guy, his ability to kind of drive forward with the ball from deep, his intelligence, um, his passing ability, all of that lends itself quite well to being a false nine. Because I remember when that signing happened, we were sat here thinking, well, hang on, we've got Diaz, we've got Jota, we've got Nunez, you can play on the left. Why are we adding another player who specialises there? But now we're kind of, you know, six months down the line, it makes perfect sense. He's sort of that proper Firmino successor for that role. And maybe Gravenberch is the wild card um, defensive midfield successor as part of that. Obviously, that is a process that can take time. Obviously, again, it kind of adds to the risk of the signing because, you know, he isn't necessarily a role he specialised in. He has played in a defensive midfield too before. But... He was playing alongside Edson Alvarez at Ajax, who is basically, I mean, West Ham have just signed him, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think he would have been the one doing the kind of dirty work there as Gravenberg would have pushed forward a little bit more. So the people have called for Liverpool to move to 4-2-3-1 shape, maybe put Gravenberg and McAllister in kind of that double pivot um, and sob a slide further forward. And it looks good on paper, but part of me just wonders, you know, do you kind of need that player there who's going to, really break things up, be destructive. I mean, is that important for the balance of the side? I mean, we'll move on in a second to kind of how things went at Bayern, how things went at Ajax for them. But let's just kind of talk a little bit more then about, I mean, where you see him fitting in. Do you think he is going to be 
a player who's kind of starts the majority of Liverpool's games for you now at the end of the season, or is he going to have to be content maybe in his first season with a predominant maybe ventral? I do think it's more of a case of the latter right now. But then, you know, it's a similar feat to Alexis McAllister. So that could tell you that he is, you know, quite in Jurgen Klopp's plans, certainly a long-term one. It would not surprise me to see him starting more games than Wataru Endo, really, in that role. And I think a lot of people might look at it and say, well, okay, he's just going to swap the Bayern Munich bench for the Liverpool bench. But I think what I'm gathering is that he at least sees his long-term prospects as more favourable at Liverpool. And I think that would be enough to persuade him, really, to, to make that switch. And I think Jurgen Klopp just strikes me as the kind of manager that will look to get the best out of Ryan Gravenberch and reignite the flame there. Because, again, you say we're about to touch on it. You know, a year on the sidelines can perhaps dampen a young player's prospects, but I don't think that'll be the case with Jurgen Klopp. I think he'll try to put his arm around him and, and really try to to get his career going again. So, yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me to see him starting in a defensive role. Um, but I think for the, for the meantime, I think he'll probably prioritise McAllister, Sabozla and Endo and perhaps more of a Europa League role for Gravenberch in the short term. Yeah, maybe we see a Fabinho-type process here. I mean, it kind of feels to me like we we always talk about Klopp easing players in, and recently we've seen him kind of just throw players in straight off the bat, but this might be one where he goes back to maybe more of his his older model of, you know, giving players a bit more time, like we saw with Fabinho, like we saw with Robertson. Maybe we saw that to a degree with Nunez as well. Um, well that was obviously partly forced by the fact that he picked up an early suspension, but I think you make a key point there in terms of the bench rolls and stuff, because Graven Birch, the reason he wants to leave Bayern is because he's not playing enough football. So for him, I think it does seem a little bit strange on the surface to go to a team that has just signed two kind of number eights who are going to be locked in for the long term. And that's what makes me think when he's had these talks with Klopp, Klopp's kind of set out, you know, you know what, there's a way we can fit all three of you into the team. And that's obviously going to be interesting to see. Um, one thing I think is important to note on this, so in the current system, there's going to be three starting midfield players plus Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, but I think, actually, when you look into it, that if Gravenberch was the fourth choice, then he'd actually be playing a significant number of football. And I tweeted about this yesterday. So I'm just, if you just look at the minutes played for the fourth choice central midfielder over the past, um, I think, six seasons, it's between 1,963 last year, which is twenty, the equivalent of about 22 full matches, and 2,811 in 18-19, which is 31 full matches. So given the amount of football that Liverpool play and obviously injuries coming and, and things like that, the likelihood is you're going to get about 25 full games, even if you are fourth choice, even if you are behind McAllister, Sobersly, Endo, whoever it might be in that pecking order. So I think maybe we kind of put too much stock on the whole first choice role type thing because really there's going to be so much rotation. I think we'll see this in attack as well to a degree. It's going to be so much rotation that there's going to be a lot of football left. And we're talking about a player who played 576 minutes of, of Bundesliga football and started three times last year. So in the immediate, even that would be a, a huge upgrade. Uh, and staying on that, there's two ways you can look at this, Simon and Chris. A, 
it's a risk because he's had his big move and it didn't work out and it's not the type of signing Liverpool normally make. I think um, I saw someone on Twitter yesterday compare it to uh, Daniel Sturridge, signing Daniel Sturridge from Chelsea, which obviously went well. But again, quite a quite a rare signing in that sense. Or do you think we should be more excited because this was a player who during his time at Ajax was one of the top young prospects in world football. He was the, the talent of the year in the Dutch league. He was top 20 in, in the voting for the Golden Boy Award. Um, and but by all accounts was, like like I say, one of the best up-and-coming midfielders. I mean, which camp of those two do you fall into more? Firstly, uh, to repeat myself in previous podcasts, every signing is a risk. You know, Erling Haaland could have been a risk for Manchester City, but you know, maybe maybe an educated risk, but anyway, it's turned out. Um, one year on the Bayern Munich bench does not change at all what I think about Ryan Gravenberch. At all. To reiterate that he's 21 years old, he's still got so much potential, so much to give in the game. Different, Totally different position, right? For example, Jamie Vardy didn't kick a Premier League ball until he was 27. And now for me, he's one of the best strikers I've seen in the competition. I really mean that in terms of what he achieved after arriving at 27 years old. So for Ryan Gravenberch, I believe it's an opportunity to kickstart his career. He only made a handful of starts at Bayern Munich last season. This year, he came on uh, only one appearance. I know they only played two games in the Bundesliga, but he only played nine minutes against Augsburg. Didn't come on in the first game against Werder Bremen. Um, so, yeah. I understand concerns because people think, oh, there might be, Liverpool might just be shopping on Bayern Munich's bench. But Bayern Munich have a lot of quality, it has to be said. So it's, there's no shame in you know not getting past a Leon Goretzka or a Joshua Kimmich. You know they are wonderful, wonderful footballers, and Ryan Gravenberch is also a wonderful, wonderful footballer. I wonder about the Dutch influence. You mentioned Gakpo and of course Van Dijk. So I wonder if they've had a word with them and say, look, we'll we'll put our arms around you. We'll really integrate you into the system. It's a great place here. Everyone gets on really well and you'll be really, really welcomed, which I think would be really good for him. Um, but I I just don't see why you wouldn't be excited about a young talent coming in that could feasibly be a Liverpool for quite a long time if it goes well, for a very, very reasonable price and has so much talent. Again, you know we've seen goals from shooting from outside the penalty area something that I want to see more from Liverpool this season. So Bozlai is starting to do it. If Gravenberch can do it, brilliant. I think McAllister has the ability to as well. I've seen one or two strikes from Endo in the, in the past that have come from outside the box. Um, and there's just there's, there's so much to be positive about with this signing. Um, because I saw a lot of people, again, jumping on the Endo boat saying, oh, he's 30, and then Klopp came out, didn't he, and say, oh, he's a late bloomer. Gravenberch is the complete other end of the scale here in that he's someone who is just starting his career. You, know, you say he's he's younger than Curtis Jones. And again, people are still saying about Curtis Jones, so much to give, so much to develop, which I totally agree with. I think I think he's, he's a great player. And again, I think he played a lot for Liverpool this season. But yeah, I, I, I see there's very few things to be negative about with this signing. I understand concerns about wanting more signings, but him in isolation... I believe, is a terrific signing. And obviously, we'll see how it goes long term. 
But my immediate reaction, I don't think there's much anyone can say that will shift that for me. Yeah, I, I think if you take the base that he showed at Ajax, which obviously Liverpool saw firsthand in that season, if you take that base and you kind of add the coaching of Jurgen Klopp, I think the um, possibilities are, are endless. And um, I saw a report yesterday that Liverpool basically included Gravenberch on a list of kind of potential game changers with Schuermany and Bellingham. And Says if, it all. If, if we'd signed... If we'd signed this player like 12 months ago, I think the reaction of the fan base, which I think has been sort of generally excited, but also a little bit mixed, I think the reaction would have been very different like 12 months ago because, I mean, obviously the landscape was a little bit different, but I think at that time it would have been seen as kind of, you've signed a generational talent. The question is, how much has that that year at Bayern, you know, set him back? And the hope is that, you know, like you said, there is only one season. It is kind of a, a top club and it is early in his career. You hope that he can just get back on track this year. And if he can get back on the trajectory he was on previously, then he's going to be a steal, really. And and staying on that, staying on the price tag, I was looking yesterday, you know, if we're looking at the market for kind of central midfield players this summer, not so much the defensive midfielders, but um, kind of players in comparable roles to Graven Birch. I mean, you've got Man City signing Mateus Nunez um, for £53 million. And um, you've got Man United refusing to sell Scott McTominay unless they get £40-45 million. Raven Birch coming in for 34 I mean, it feels like it's got immense bargain potential, this one. I totally agree. I, t- I totally agree. Um, I-, I get what I said earlier about Bayern Munich almost feeling that they've pretty much doubled their price for Graven Birch in the space of a year. But I think for Liverpool, I, I think it's an excellent signing. I, I was just thinking then, Dave, it'd be very interesting to kind of gauge the opinions of people. Of course, Bellingham was the high hope in at the start of the summer, uh, going back into last season as well. But Jude Bellingham, and I'm factoring in the wages here as well, because that will have been a massive factor in terms of the overall package. But Jude Bellingham, and we don't know who else would have come in apart from him, Versus McAllister, Sabozlai, Endo, and Gravenberch. For me, and I think Jude Bellingham is going to go down as one of the best players we've ever seen. But I think that's a fair trade because it, it applies squad depth. And would Bellingham have been asked to do literally everything in that Liverpool midfield? So I think that's, I think it'd be very interesting to kind of gauge what people think about that, really. Yeah, to be honest, you know, they went for this approach at the start of the window, didn't they, where it was like, look, we need multiple players to rebuild this midfield and not just kind of Bellingham and maybe one other. Um, I mean, we don't know who else would have maybe come in alongside him, but I think it's hard to kind of argue with the results and it feels like as much as Bellingham would have been a spectacular signing, it feels like the ceiling the, the sort of collective ceiling has been raised further with the approach that they've taken. And on that, just to finish off uh, for, the, for this one, if we kind of look at how the midfield has changed from this time last year, um, when Liverpool had just signed Arto, um, and then looking at what it looks like now. So you had, um, in 2022, Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago, Milner, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Cater, Elliot, Cavallo, Jones and Arto. Well, this time last year, 
Now you have McAllister, Sobersai, Gravenberg, Thiago, Jones, Elliot, Bicesic, and Endo as your midfielders. Obviously, there's only kind of four of them who've stayed put a lot of turnover in that department. So we've we've seen, I think, probably even more so than Liverpool expected. What is, I'd say, a fully-fledged midfield rebuild this summer? So as we kind of wind down now to the end of the transfer window, what would your, your verdict be on that then, Chris? Well, the average age has been absolutely slashed, hasn't it? <laughs> you know, that, 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 that's one really important thing to, to factor in, I think. None of us, none of us saw Jordan Henderson leaving. Certainly not in the manner that he did. Very few of us saw Fabinho leaving. Again, kind of in the manner that he did, just because of how quickly it came about. Um, we know that Jurgen Klopp wanted to keep James Milner. And I do... I am still a bit disappointed of how that went, really. Because I, I, I think he's awesome on and off the pitch, James Milner. Also, Chamberlain Navigator, I, I ultimately agree with their departures. Um, unfortunate in terms of injuries for the pair of them, but I, I, I do agree. Um, Thiago, it would be nice to remember he exists when he gets back out on the pitch for Liverpool, whenever that is. But I think as a midfield rebuild... The one thing that you genuinely could say was missing would be that dedicated, youthful number six. Whether it would have been a Caicedo, a Lavia, Decore, that is something that Liverpool, I think, will still look for next summer. I saw a lot of people saying, oh, why didn't Liverpool jump on Jao Palinha? Liverpool will get a younger number six than Jao Palinha next year. I am pretty confident about that. And I think it will be one that long term will be a much more high quality signing as well. But to get it, it's it's funny if I was to rank how I feel about the midfield rebuild because it, again it does kind of feel there's just that one bit left. But if you just said to me at the start of the window, Gravenberch, Soboslai, and McAllister as the three more youthful midfielders, I'd have absolutely taken that. So it, it's it's funny because I feel like eight is a little bit too high. But I feel like seven's a little bit too low because I am very happy with the business. So by logic, I'll go for a seven point five, somewhere between seven point five and eight, because I am I am pretty happy. Um, obviously, we'll see how detrimental it is not getting number six and going forward. But long term, looking at those three, I am I am pretty happy. Yeah, and I think no, obviously no disrespect, and um, hopefully he does really well this season. But I think if if as opposed to Endo, it had been, like you say, kind of that younger... Um, sort but of someone you could look at in a long-term role, really. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, I think you're right to mention that the midfield situation is going to crop up again next year um, just because of addressing that number six position in all likelihood. I think, so I think if they'd done that this summer and brought in those three kind of number eight players, then I think we're looking at kind of 10 out of 10 for that for that rebuild. But it has, you know... You know, aside from that, been been very very good. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned kind of the age coming down. I think also maybe in tandem with that, the the profile of the midfield has just changed completely. I mean, like yeah. now they've really added kind of the, to be honest, the, the the technical the technical skill and the physicality that was missing last year when Liverpool were getting outrun, and um, in midfield, and they were also kind of, you know, just struggling to kind of retain the ball at times. I think they've really kind of addressed the key weaknesses in there with the transfers that they've made. I think it's going to 
you know, especially when everyone gels together, I think it's going to make Liverpool a lot stronger on the pitch. Um, so yeah, that is probably going to be it for Liverpool's transfer window and that is going to be it for this podcast as well. So thanks very much everyone for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating whatever platform you're listening on. It really helps us. And remember, if you follow the podcast and put notifications on, you'll get a message every time we post a new episode or it'll appear in your feed. And we'll be back after the game against Aston Villa, um, which obviously is happening on Sunday. So yeah, make sure you join us for that one. But until then, take care.